I'm Sharon. Welcome to Queen of the Hills podcast. Welcome back to the Queen of the Hills podcast. I'm your host, Sharon, and today we're going to be talking about all of the amazing shows that aired this week, starting with the family Chantel, then we're going to get into some College Hill Celebrity Edition, and then we've got some Real Housewives of Atlanta, and we're going to cap it off with Married to Medicine. Are you freaking ready? <laughs> Whose idea was it to recap all the shows? It couldn't have been mine because this isn't the best idea. <laughs> so um, we're going to start with the family Chantel. We have season four, episode six. You should be thanking me. And we see the follow up to the argument with Chantel and Pedro where Chantel goes and spends the night with her brother, uh, River. And I want I talked about I talked about this with someone on Twitter and I, I want to bring it here. It is so nice to see how her family rallies. There is nothing like a family that rallies. And yes, you can be very successful without that, as I'm kind of proof of. <laughs> but for those of you who have a family that rallies around you, you are unstoppable. There is nothing you can't do without uh, you. There's nothing you can't do when you know that your family has your back. And although your family definitely wants your marriage to work out, it's imperative that you have people in your corner who can build you back up and send you back out into the world. I talk about it all the time. So I love that no matter what, Chantel has her family. And as soon as she got that glass of wine, she lightened up. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, it was so cute how River went immediately into concerned brother mode. He goes, hey, what's going on? What What's happening? He dropped the cool guy act. He was immediately concerned about his sister. And I love their all the siblings' relationship. I love the way they work together. And I like how their parents encourage them to be close that's important however um it's it, it was sad to see pedro and chantel have that fallout now here's my question so the next day she goes back home but before she gets home river and his mom <laughs> the amazing karen i love that woman so much <laughs> um they decide to pay a visit to Pedro and ask him what happened. He basically said Chantel doesn't cook or clean and Karen has her daughter's back. And she's like, okay, well, no, she's not domestic. She has a lot of things that she, she does well. And maybe those are things that she doesn't do well. Are you willing to lose your marriage over some bullshit when you could literally just outsource? Let me just pause for reviewing the show. Let me just say this. I am a married woman. I've been married coming up on six years. Um, I was with my husband for 10 I've been with my husband for 10 and um, and now we're coming up on six years of marriage and I don't cook all the time. He doesn't cook all the time. But I tell you what we will do is we recognize that we both have a lot going on and we're adults and there's really not gender based roles in our marriage. There's really no space for that to thrive in a marriage between two people with their own identities, their own shortcomings and their own um, their own strengths. And so we foster a healthy relationship where you can show up as you are and whatever is lacking after we both get a hold of the tasks, we outsource and call it a damn day. So have we had a maid roll all up and through? Yup. <laughs> have we had food brought in? Yup. Have we had landscaping done? Yup. Have we had someone walk our dog because it's just not working out today? Yup. And guess what we were able to do? Regroup. For Chantel, who works three days, Pedro says she only works three days and she's off for four. Yes, but she's working three 12-hour days. She's working in a hospital, as she stated, cleaning bodies, seeing people die all the time, avoiding getting sick herself. 
She's cleaning up all damn day. And not saying that being a realtor is easy because that is hard work. You have to be on all the time. But Chantel's job is literally life or death. And so it is important for her to take the time to mentally recover. I don't even think my husband would allow me to get off the couch for two or three days if I were working three 12 hour day shifts. I mean, on Saturdays when I get like the energetic bug and I'm up and moving around, he's, I work from home and he's like, you need, you need a rest. You need to recover. Take it. Like he, I haven't ran my bath in years. My husband runs my bubble bath for me every single night. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure there were a few times where I ran it on my own. Um, but yeah, so like, it's just see something, do something kind of thing. It's a see something, do something. Whenever I saw that he wasn't being, he didn't have time to clean his office or make up his office or like paint it and all that stuff. I had a day off work and I went in there and decorated his entire office. I did the same thing for his private bathroom. I gave him a little art deco vibe. It's very cute. But, um, but yeah, you just do things for one another. You carry the weight. That's a partnership and we don't always get it right. We've had arguments where we're like, we are spending way too much on eating out. We have to disperse the work together. But never in that conversation have I ever felt the expectation was woman cook and clean for me because he would have got a boot in the chest. What you're not about to do is tell me to cook and clean like you don't have two hands. Like you haven't been dating me for five years or whatever the heck. Oh no. And if we'd ever veer into that, because sometimes my language and my tone can come off bossy or demanding, he'll say, hey, I didn't, I didn't really care for how that sounded. You are bossing me. I don't appreciate it. And I'll be like, all right, all right, all right. Get the damn clothes out the drive, please. <laughs> well, we just got to be nice to each other. You just got to be nice. Well, the issue that I have isn't that Pedro has this request. The request itself to cook and clean or contribute more to the household is not the most unreasonable request. Can you contribute more to the household? That is not the worst thing. The problem that I'm finding is the demand and along with that, the entitlement and the lack of respect and above all else, the lack of consideration for her as a human, not just as your wife, not just as your partner, but a human fucking being. He hasn't assessed everything that she does during the day before he made these demands. He's simply giving this an if this, then that logic, but he isn't actually considering the whole picture. He's saying it's almost like a quid pro quo. I, I scratched your back when you were in, in college and now you need to scratch my back now that you're working full time and so am I. When in actuality, when, they were in, when she was in college, he was cleaning a one bedroom apartment that had the bed and the living room for the longest time. So he wasn't really cleaning a five bedroom house and, and, and cooking for her every day. Her schedule was different. His schedule was different. His, he had more availability than she does. So it's not exactly uh, if this, then that logic that should be applied. It's uh, can you contribute to the house more? Let her find ways where she is able to show up. You find ways where you are able to show up and whatever falls in the middle, outsource, outsource, or you do it together. So you know what? We both hate being the one that has to cook. Why don't I prep you execute? We both hate being the one that cleans the whole house. Why don't I take all the bathrooms? You take all the bedrooms and we tackle the kitchens, the kitchen and living room together. It can be done. He doesn't want it to be done because what he wants is to have a reason to gripe at her so that he feels good about what he's doing when he leaves the house. The fact that there was a cup in her house that she doesn't know. So here's a list of things that I don't like. 
aside from the core issue of their argument. He had an he has been carpooling with a coworker who is a woman regularly. He's been dropping her off at home very late at night. It was revealed that Pedro is coming home at three in the morning. And when he's asked where he was, he says, it's none of your business. Honey, if you come in the house at 12 p.m. and tell me none of my business, you can turn right on around and go back wherever the hell you were. You don't have no business here is what the problem is. Speaking of business, your business here has concluded. Take your ass back wherever the hell you were. Talking to me like that, boot in the chest. <laughs> Let me stop because I've never put a boot in my husband's chest. He's probably going to listen to this and be like, she is such a liar. She has never hit me in the chest with a boot. What's wrong with her? <laughs> I'm just saying. Boot in the chest is really just like T.Y. Tear your ass. So I said all that to say Pedro has been coming in at 3 in the morning. Someone has been driving his car, putting their name on his key ring, um, leaving their cups at his house. And he's been a disrespectful twat. So that marriage is over regardless of the outcome of the cheating allegations. The way he is talking to her and treating her is more than enough for me to go ahead and file. There is no relationship where there is no respect. You don't have any type of, you don't have any type of power to wield where there is no respect. You don't have any type of investment in that relationship if the minimum isn't being met. And so because of that, she doesn't have anything to draw from. Like if they're engaged in a conversation, there is no advantage to be had on her behalf because he already doesn't respect her. The bare minimum is already not being met. Move on. And I know that people say, you, you know, you got to stick it out through a marriage. You have to stick it out through challenges that life will throw at you. But if you are the storm that I am having to weather within my own home, that is not a relationship. You just, you set me out on a mission by myself, which is marriage one-on-one. -on -one. We have each other's back. You should never send me out on a mission by myself. And if you are not respecting me, that's all you're doing. You're sending me out on a mission by my damn self. You are becoming my adversary. No end fighting, please. So I also didn't think it was the best thing for, although I'm glad Karen and um, River had Sh uh, Chantel's back, I wasn't comfortable with the fact that they went over to find out information about her relationship without her. I thought that was an overstep and it also didn't make Pedro comfortable. Now, regardless of what's going on between the two of them, it's not the best thing for them to be answering questions to one another's family. Because if you wanted to know what was going on in my marriage, you should have asked me because that's crossing my own boundary. And Chantel was right in asserting her boundaries. And I noticed the trend here, and I'm gonna tell you how invasive that is. I used to have, uh, my mom used to do this thing where if I had a boyfriend, she would call the boyfriend when I wasn't around and ask them if we had slept together to find out if I was a virgin in high school or not. I, I was, but a, a number of my boyfriend's moms were like, hey, tell your mom, if she wanna know what's going on, she need to ask, don't question my son about no shit like that no more. Like, <laughs> I got a few messages to bring home with me. Like, hey, Sherry, and I think you're great, but your mama doesn't need to be asking my son those kind of questions. She needs to be talking to you about that. And I'm like, what kind of questions? And so it's not only invasive, but it's really inappropriate to overstep like that. It's really inappropriate. So um, let Chantel process in her own time. I love that Chantel was protecting the integrity of her marriage and giving it a long-term shot by not 
divulging all their problems, but notice that Pedro did the thing that you don't do. Marriage suicide, tell your family all your problems. Now, if you have one or two trusted sources in, within your family that you trust, who can be objective, who love both of you, who can hear the problems and then assess and give you feedback, then that's fine. And I think someone like Thomas would be able to do that, Chantel's dad. But I don't think that Karen can do that. And that's okay. I would, let me just tell you this, when, when my family gets in relationship spats, don't tell me. I'm that family member where I don't care. I'll never forgive them. <laughs> I'm very much like, don't tell me, don't tell me, um, because I, I won't let it go. I'll be like, mm, he's sitting over there when his ass wouldn't even clean out the tub. Like, that's not my business. <laughs> so all I'm saying is just don't do that. Now, my trusted source, I would say is, I mean, honestly, nobody except for my dad. Um, I tell my dad stuff, like if I'm going through something, I'll tell my dad. But my dad doesn't see my husband as a son-in-law he actually sees my husband as a son like they have a spiritual father-son relationship since we got married my dad has really done the work and taken the time to really acquire that kind of mindset about my husband and um i love that he's done that because that nobody asked him to do that he he thought enough of me to want to make sure that i always felt comfortable and that my husband felt like he was family not in-law but actual family and he treats him like that my dad you know he Whatever my husband has going on, he's going to show up for him in the ways that he can. And, and you really can't ask for that, especially with me being a recovering daddy's baby. I was daddy's girl growing up. And when you become an adult, the dynamic changes and you become somewhat peers with a level of respect, of course, but like peers. And I never really knew how that would work because, I mean, I was just his shadow whenever I could be. <laughs> like, just if I could be, I was going like a koala bear. I was going to be with my dad if I could be and, and some parents some kids just take to their parents like that and and or people like that I, I did the same thing with my uncle I did the same thing with both my aunts I just would attach to people and they would be my person and so <laughs> and so you know when you get older you can't just you can't just own people like that and so the fact that my dad did the work do on his end to try and create a healthy dynamic between him and my husband and then me and him and let me grow up and be a peer and not judge me and create a non-judgmental space that makes me feel good so when i talk to him about our problems he's not gonna be like i hate jonathan and he get on my nerves his thing is okay well what do you need from me are you okay do you need to go home for a couple of days do you need a couple of days away do you need me to send you some money like do you need do you need a gift <laughs> You need a meal. Like, what is it that you need? And then, all right, well, here's what I think you should do. Do you want me to call him and, and, and talk? You know, he'll do that thing. And so, and that's really sweet. That's invaluable. And, and my husband's mom, she used to be very open to that as well. Like when I would talk to her one-on-one, -on -one, she talked to me like I was her actual daughter. She'd be like, how's my baby Sharon? How's Romeo? Romeo is our schnauzer. The fact that she took the time to make sure my schnauzer felt like a grandchild. <laughs> Now that's true love. That's somebody who really cares about your feelings that they're like, if, if the dog is important to you, sweetie, I'll make the adjustment. <laughs> she even kept my dog with, for me and my husband. She kept our dog for two months during our move. So I lucked out with some pretty freaking awesome in-laws. And my husband has five siblings and they're all in relationships. So, uh, yeah, so there are 10 quote unquote siblings and they all have children. And so... Uh, all together with their with their spouses and you know so I hit the jackpot with in-laws but Chantel and Pedro don't like each other's families and then Pedro it seems like Pedro is actually doing the work to try and recover his relationship with River 
and he did and he was successful and i think he was expecting that from nicole from chantelle with nicole but the difference is river was never malicious they had a falling out but nicole is an actual antagonist and that is different and i don't think pedro is doing the right thing by calling his mother to talk about his marriage for a few reasons one all she's going to do is trash chantelle she said outright, I encourage him to get a divorce. If you are calling someone for aid when it comes to your marriage, they need to be someone who is pro your marriage. And they need to be someone who's objective. So if they're willing to allow the marriage, I mean, if they're willing to encourage the marriage, they also have to be able to say, you know, I don't know if this is the best thing for you two. You need some time away. Like they need to be able to be objective at the end of the day. But someone who is anti your marriage is not the person to call for help. You also need to make sure that you assess, can, is this person qualified to give me advice in this space? His mother has never been married. And if she has been, for the, for the length of time she was married, she was a, a mistress for much longer. Case in point, Nicole and Pedro. They were the product of a man stepping out. So we know she's pro-cheating. And she treats Pedro like her damn husband. So she feeling some kind of way about Chantel scooping up her baby. So that is not the person to call for help. <laughs> I'm not going to go on in that. I got three more shows to review. So I'm just going to say I'm happy to see that Chantel and Pedro are divorcing. I hate to say that because I'm pro-marriage, but I think Chantel could do so much better. Honey, go get one of those doctors that works at the hospital that you that you work at. Go set, you know, go set up a relationship that is bound for success, not just financially, but more cohesive. And you two have a lot more in common. Go marry somebody you don't have to save. I'm just saying she's worth so much more than she's allowing for herself. Same with Winter, but we'll, we'll let that go. The fact that that man said when she was climbing, when Winter was climbing that wall and she was like, I don't want to fall. And he said, I would catch you. And she gave him that look. I have never laughed that hard at the family Chantel. Winter is funny. Winter is very funny. But why did her boy, I think his name was Chris. Why did he look at the camera like that when he hugged Winter? He's so funny to me. Everything he was doing was making me laugh. But honey, I'm loving watching Winter become a man eater. And lo and behold, now that we know there's a divorce, I cannot wait to see Chantel go back out into the field. Oh, we're going to get some good TV from that. Because the show isn't called The Family Pedro. The show is The Family Chantel. And if through this divorce, we now don't have to watch long ass pieces of episode about Nicole and Alejandro, Lord bless it. Lord bless it. All right. College Hill Celebrity Edition. College Hill Celebrity Edition, season one, episode four. Y'all, we need to talk about Ray. We see everybody starting to get their grades. And so far, everyone's doing pretty well with the exception of Ray, who is somewhat checking out. Now, we did see Ray, his aunt passed away. And y'all know he was dealing with him and Princess Love's second, third, fourth divorce. I don't know. But that shit will take a toll on you. And he was feeling like he he wasn't showing up for his family. And so he was depressed. And in that process, he failed to reach out to the professor and tell the professor that he wouldn't be attending class. And when he got back to class, the professor reprimanded him and was like, you need to let us know. And he was like, you know, my, my aunt died. And she was just like, okay, but you still need to let us know. I actually cringed so hard at that. And I understand his reaction. He had a reasonable reaction. Bitch, say my condolences. I'm sorry to hear that. Or, oh, wow, I'm, I'm so sorry that happened. And thank you for sharing. How can I help you? 
And yes, I know it's college, but like I said in my last episode, when my great-grandmother passed away during spring break, I called my college, the dean of students, and, and, and Brother Foster told me, do what you need to do and come back when you're ready. We will make sure you get caught up. Go heal. We are here if you need us. We are your family. And that, and that is the response that you give. And so, yes, he missed a test. Here's the problem, though. That was such a callous response that I think it threw him for a loop and it pissed me off immediately. Ray wasn't mad enough. And I think the issue is she didn't think he was telling the truth because the way Ray, Raymond, Lord, the way Ray J communicates is very like there's a joke on the way. He is a very fluid with his communication like he jokes a lot and he always sounds like he's joking it didn't sound like he was telling the truth I think the crew or the producers should have let the the school know because he is a cast member not just a student and he probably had a lot to figure out and I didn't really care for the response or the way he was treated yes if he was a regular student he should have definitely reached out and he should have reached out in this situation but the fact that he didn't shouldn't have been the end all be all it should have been if this ever happens again, let us know. Go ahead and give your, your give it your best try right now. And then we'll we'll regroup. And if you need to come back for tutoring or something like that or retake it, maybe that's something we can do. Like there should have been some sort of consideration and some sort of just fucking human decency. I hated the way she handled that. I thought that was disgusting. And she committed one of my least favorite things that people do when they know that a family member or a close loved one has passed away. And that is make it a point to bring them up in conversation. Now, if you are asking, you know, what was their favorite color or tell me something nice about them, tell me something you remember about them or you're engaging, that's a different thing. But when she said your aunt would want you to pass this test, your aunt would want you to take, take this assignment, your aunt would want you to do well. And he said, you don't know what my aunt would want. First of all, <laughs> Ray J. I love Ray J because he is fucking funny, but he was 100% right. When I tell you I hate, and let me say this again, I hate when people do that thing, it makes me crazy. You didn't know my relative. Just say my condolences or I'm sorry or, hey, I want you to do well. I want you to do well and I'm going to be here to support you. That's all you got to say. You don't have to tell him what his aunt would have wanted. First of all, you don't know my aunt to know a damn thing. She could have been anti-school. And here you are speaking on her behalf. You don't have the right to do that. And that I know that people mean well. That's why I don't jump people, you know, jump down people's throats. It's just really, it's unnerving because it's taking a liberty. And I don't like it. Don't speak on behalf of someone you don't know. I've had people speak on behalf of my husband to me. One time my husband and I were getting our taxes done. And it's so random. And I said something. We were, I think we were on the opposite side of an issue or something. And I made a joke and I said, watch when we get in here. They're going to say, you need this paper. Something like that. It was just something so casual. And so when we got in, into the room with our accountant, we're talking and then uh, the accountant says, oh, did you bring that paper? And I said, no, what did I say? That's all I said. I, told, I looked at him and said, no, what did I say? I said they was going to need that. Me and him snicker and then turn our attention. And she goes, don't tell him that he was wrong. Don't blame it on him. Oh, bitch. <laughs> First of all. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't know him to speak on his behalf one two even if you did I'm his wife shut the hell up don't you ever speak on behalf of my husband to me do you know what kind of liberty you are taking right now and third who the hell do you think you are telling me what I should and shouldn't do hell if I want to put a boot in his chest I have no I don't have the right to do that 
<laughs> but who are you to tell me what I can and cannot do in regards to my husband? That's absolutely inappropriate. So, and I've had people do that in my home. I had a cousin at my house one time and I literally said, I shouldn't have got the, I had these um, salad tossing utensils and I got the plastic ones thinking they were glass. I ordered them real quick on Amazon and when they showed up, they were plastic, but they weren't acrylic and they weren't glass. And I was like, shit, I got the wrong ones. So I told my husband right before he started making the food, I was like, please be careful with those little things. I did not buy the right ones and those little flimsy things are going to break. As soon as I said that, I turn around and I hear, and so, and so I turned around and said, Jonathan, oh my God, that's like, it wasn't a problem. Like it was literally just me saying that. And he was like, dang, we, we knew it was going to happen. Like it wasn't a thing. We kind of was laughing, but like, just like, oh, come on. It wasn't an anti. It was just a saying like, oh, come on. And my cousin goes, Nip, calm down. Don't talk to him like that. I need y'all to know that I am not dating an invalid. I'm not dating a child or a cretin. My husband is a fully grown man. And the fact that women like to coddle him and then kind of try to align with him by making me their scapegoat, that's the quickest way to get your head and it blown off with words, not with guns. <laughs> but the, the quickest way to get your feelings hurt. I, you know, I'm serious now. Don't play with me. And so people overstep. So I don't like when people take liberties with me, especially with people I know and love. But when it comes to a deceased person, I hate that. Like one time when I was little, my uncle passed away. And when I was at the funeral, I did not cry. I didn't cry. Cause first of all, I didn't, I was seven. So I just was like, mm, okay, you know, he's upset right now or he'll be back soon. Like I just did not conceptualize death um, until I saw um, the land before time is when I realized death was like a real thing. I thought it was more so like an extended sleep. And so um, I just thought it was a whole lot of fanfare for a real long nap. Y'all are doing a lot. But I had just learned about hibernating bears. It was a lot coming at me, okay? And so I didn't conceptualize death. So when my sister started crying, I was like, don't cry. And someone grabbed my shoulder and was like, don't tell her that. Your uncle would want her to express herself. And I was like, bitch, you don't know my uncle like that. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Even at the age of seven, I was like, don't take a liberty with me. So I didn't like that the professor did that. I thought that was overstepping, and I think she owed Ray, Ray J an apology. Again, I'm forever impressed with the progress that India Love is making, and I love that she is sharing that progress with both Frida and Dream Doll. I loved seeing India and Dream Doll and, um, and Slim Thug, as well as, as Big Frida, support Ray J in the ways that they could. They all showed up for him. And that's a friendship. That's, I love that this group is, is so cohesively put together because then we get scenes and experiences like that. So we saw Dream Doll helping him get up and get ready for school when he wasn't able to. Um, I found out Ray J is rooming with Lamar, who is one of the nastier house guests. And so that's why he sleeps everywhere around the house. So... He's such a, he's really good at conflict management, <laughs> but thanks Ray J. But, um, but yeah. And then Slim Thug and Big Frida were counseling him. And it was so funny when they were in the backyard talking to Ray J. I was like, oh, his parents had to like get him together. His college parents. Um, and then Big Frida was there and she was like, don't give up. You got this. You got this. And then India went in for like a, just a pure one-on-one -on -one and was like, Ray, you help me out of my dark spot. Let me help you. So I'm loving seeing these transitions. I thought the grade lacked tact i'll be honest yes you are responsible for your output but even at university level when i went to uta 
you know, my school was so supportive. University of Texas in Arlington, they were so supportive. When I was having conflicts with work and I was having trouble getting to my first speech class, um, my speech professor set me up with an internship with Texas Motor Speedway in Fort Worth. And he was like, okay, I need you to exhibit a lot of the things that you're that you're missing in the first 10 minutes of class when you're late. I need you to exhibit these things and I need you to. And he gave me a little chart to have my uh, internship manager check off that I was doing. So speaking up, speaking in front of a crowd of 10 or more, using language, being very mind, like using proper language, being very mindful of disposition, tone, like he gave her homework, got me that internship or got me an interview for the internship. Once I aced, and once I aced it, then he sent over the chart and he graded me that way. He was flexible. He was like, I know you got to work to, you know, pay your rent and pay for your tuition. And so let me help you and support you in that manner. And then I passed that, that class. And then when I had his debate, um, debate class, then he actually called me and was like, hey, I'm going to encourage you to take the 10 a.m. class instead of the 8 if you still have that job. <laughs> so yeah, schools will work with you. You just have to ask. Schools will work with you. It is never end all be all. People act like college is this immovable thing and people are all going to be very hard on you. They want you to succeed. And so I thought that it was a little bit rigid of her and in lack tact the way she responded to Ray. And I don't think it helped his spiral. I think he felt very unsupported. The one thing I will say is everyone was, was talking to him in a way of wanting him to recover, but nobody was talking to him in a way of wanting him to be okay. And I think that was the difference. No one was, except for Frida, I felt like the rest of the, the squad weren't just like saying, hey, are you okay? What can we do to help? And I would have loved to see that, not just you need to do this because this program, I would have loved for them to just say as a human, let's talk, let's get your hair right. That's it. Um, it would have been great if India had encouraged him to go talk to go um, <clears throat> talk to that lady that she talked to. Um, so moving on to Real Housewives of Atlanta, season 14, episode nine. <laughs> So we're going to go ahead and move over to Real Housewives of Atlanta, season 14, episode nine, Midnight in the Chateau of Good and Evil. Now, my personal feelings on this episode was it was another slam dunk. This season has not stopped. Every episode has been entertaining in its own right. And although there are some filler episodes, none of them have felt that way. This is a really good season. So I wanted to start by talking about Candy being an all-star yet again by showing up for Marlo. Let me tell you how it would be very hard for me to show up for someone who ambushed me in the way that Marlo did. But you got to keep in mind, at this point, Candy is not aware of the very nasty things that Sheree and Marlo were saying about Candy and Kenya. They don't know because that was a sidebar um, at Sonya's little event. So I want to start with a conversation with Marlo and Candy. Now, if you watch Candy's speak on it, which I do <laughs> religiously, I have on my notification bells. Do you? And the reason I wanted to start there is because when we first hear about Marlo kicking out her nephews, she said it in such a way that it was like she was overwhelmed and she and her sister decided to let the boys stay over there for th to, to stay over at her younger sister's house for 30 days because her younger sister is also a mom, well, is a mom. Marlo is not and her and she needed a break. She's also building a home and she was overwhelmed. Um, according to Marlo, the boys are you know, going through some things where they're being kind of messy and they're not washing their clothes the right way and they're punching holes in walls and talking about the teachers and they're having a very clear fallout post that conversation with their mom where they were 
forced by Marlo and Marlo's mom to have a conversation with their mom, who is Marlo's sister, to encourage her to seek therapy so that she could get out of jail. And when that first happened, I said, the kids shouldn't be held responsible for that. And they're going to take on the ownership of failing to get their mom to seek help. And I didn't think the kids should be involved in that at all. So I immediately said that last time. So now we're seeing that they are having a reaction after that phone call with their mom. <sighs> However, when we hear Marlo later in the episode tell Candy what happened when she kicked out her nephews, she had a lot more vitriol. She was a lot more energetic and there was a very clear um, anxiousness about her that was not present when she talked to Sonia and Sheree at the furniture place. So Candy on Speak On It mentioned, you know, when she talked to me, I actually feel like that was the first time she divulged that because there was just a whole different energy. And when she, she met with Sonia and Sheree, I feel like that was later when she had had an opportunity to get composed and change the way that she worded it. And I completely agree. Actually, as I was watching the episode, I said that. I was like, well, hold on. Because the way they placed it was to kind of give us, they didn't, you know, I feel like production didn't want to shock us or have us have an immediate aversion to Marlo and have an immediate reaction to her by the way she said it to Candy. And I think they gave us that scene so that we would already be warm to the idea and it wouldn't shock us. And her verbiage might be a little bit too much, but we already knew the story and we had already been given this pacified, watered down story. But really what it sounds like is that Marlo got overwhelmed and had a reaction and told the boys, as she said, to get the F out. She then had a bawling session where she's crying and bawling to Candy saying, I'm not doing right by those boys. I'm going to be very honest and I'm trying to handle this with care because again, I'm an aunt and I have lived in the home with my, with my niece, not my nephew, but with my niece. Um, her early years were spent in the family home and I was still living there because I was in college. And so for the first three or four years of her life, I was very present in her early years. And so there is a certain type of bond that I have with her where I always feel just super protective of her um, because, you know, I take I was able to be present and take my role as an aunt very seriously from the beginning of her life. That wasn't something I had to tap into. I was so happy that I had that opportunity to be around her as a baby. And I got to be honest. I'm gonna say the things that Marlo got right. Marlo, it is normal to get overwhelmed when you are facing such a life adjustment. That's normal. I, no one is gonna fault Marlo for being overwhelmed, but we can say the reaction should have been handled very differently. As an adult, it is up to you to assess your temperature, to assess your anxiety level, and to operate accordingly so that you don't have a meltdown. We see Marlo go out with the girls, party with the girls, do all these things, but even Marlo admitted she needs therapy. And long before her burnout, I think Marlo should have just been adjusting to, to this change with therapy. So it bugged me when she said, I might need therapy. I don't know, I don't know. You do know. Take a deep breath, consider the options right now, and then take the most conservative route. Because at the end of the day, what's an adjustment for Marlo, she will recover from. But what's an adjustment for the kids, they may not. And while I hope they do, what she did was take them from an experience which was instability with their mom, put them in a home where for three years they had a stable life, create structure, kind of shower them with love, but also the luxuries 
that her life has afforded her and she shared that willingly with them, which fantastic. And then when she deemed it too much without warning, she ripped it all away. And what scares me is that they're now gonna grow up feeling like, first of all, their family finds them to be burdensome. They're not gonna feel like they have community amongst their family. They're gonna feel like weight. They're gonna feel like black sheep, like the kids that the, the boxcar kids passed around. And that, that pains me because that's not the truth. They're children and they should be afforded a stable home and they should be afforded the opportunity to go through childhood and make the mistakes and go through the adjustments that comes with children in a safe space that won't abandon them when they feel like it. Marlo, before she had this burnout, there was no way that this was a surprise. She knew she was feeling however she was feeling. She knew she was getting to the end of her rope. And before she had a reaction, she should have set up these visits with her little sister or even other family members where they leave on the weekends so that they can build relationships with their other family. They can build community. She could have positioned this in a positive manner as opposed to saying, get the F out. Because just because words don't kill, they damn sure do hurt. And the thing about words, it's like toothpaste. <laughs> Once you take them out, you can never put it back in. So whatever you say, you may have meant it, you may not, you may have just said it out of spite, whatever. Once you've said it, it's there and it doesn't go away. And so you would hate to leave the impression that you are not welcoming your nephews over some bullshit. The things that she described, first of all, the adjustment is hard. Having people in your space when you are used to not having those people in your space is hard. No one's faulting her for feeling the weight of an adjustment like that. She did the right thing by stepping up for her sister and she deserves all the pats on the back that she gets for that. And I'm really proud of Marlo for doing that. But in doing that, she did sign up for the responsibility of creating a stable and healthy life for those boys. And she failed them when she kicked them out. It's one thing to say, you know what? I think we need to broaden your horizons and let you spend time with more family. And when you come home, you'll be home. This is home. And let them go stay with their aunt for a couple of days. Let them go stay with a cousin. Let them stay with an uncle, whatever the case. Send them to camp. They should be gone in the summer. They should be going to camps and all kinds of stuff. Fill their days up, fill their life up. Give them things to do, not work in your store. But give them things to do. Are they in activities? I never see the babies going to basketball or football or baseball practice. Are they in any kind of extracurricular learning program? They're in the Spanish club, the key club. Fill up their time. Give them things that are constructive to do and they won't have as much time to be destructive. Also, the fact that one of the boys punched a hole in the wall. One, they didn't know how to wash their clothes right. All that stuff. Let me tell you this. When you are teaching adults, and I'm talking about fully grown adults, with fully matured brains. It takes about seven times exposing them to something before it sticks. Training is a long-term process. And so when you are teaching someone something, an adult, you have to expose them to it about seven times. It means repetition, trying it in new ways, handling it in new ways, executing the information in a certain way. It's practice. When you're dealing with kids, you have to not only teach them that or expose them to it seven to 10 times, but you have to make sure that they are focused. When you are raising children, you're not only teaching them and guiding them and mentoring them, you're teaching them how to think, how to behave, how to have manners, how to conduct themselves in many different settings. It is constant. So the burnout isn't surprising. What's disappointing is the fact that she decided to make her burnout their problem. 
and she put her feelings over theirs because what what really should have happened was her considering the boys are not only coming from an unstable environment and feeling like they're staying in my house they don't feel like they're home they're staying here but now there's a mistrust that I just placed in our relationship it's gonna set us back and not just us it's gonna set them back my home should have been a reprieve when you have kids in your life, you realize that they're not gonna get it right all the time because they're fucking kids. They're gonna get stuff wrong. They're gonna be messed up. There's a way to correct them and place boundaries and, and institute discipline and, and react and you know and, and, and move away from reactive behavior but move into a more constructive response. And I think that's something Marlo is missing. She's treating the kids like a pet that she adopted that she no longer wants get the F out, first of all, even if you are burned out, why is that even in your wheelhouse to say to some kids? Why are you talking to kids like that? She grossed me out with that. You don't get an excuse, and I'm so proud of Candy for being like, what about the kids though? Because they're the more helpless parties in the situation. They're the ones who cannot control their experience at all. And that's what's disappointing. So I'm glad Candy was the one who was honest with her and concerned herself with the children. Candy did a great job of, of conducting that questionnaire, that question and response period of their conversation in a way that it reached Marlo, but it also backed the kids. I really like Candy. I just do. I just do. Just you, I'm, I have, I'm, I'm hard pressed to find a more considerate person um, on TV right now. Um, and then we had Drew and Fatoum having a back and forth. And I thought this was very stupid. First of all, Fatoum, if you're meeting someone, even in passing, why are you background checking them? That is stalker behavior. I don't agree with Drew on much, but I agree with her ass on that. Um, and Sonia was being, I, I, I don't like Sonia. She's lame. I'm just going to put it out there. Y'all know how excited I was for Sonia in the beginning. She is lame. I did not like how she tried to shade Ralph and then lie about it. Do not throw a rock and hide your hand. See, that's the stuff that I hated about Eva. And then later we saw she cut off Lisa Wu and Lisa Wu was like, don't cut me off, I'm speaking. And she was like, well, I wanna say something. Sonia, what the hell is wrong with you? When someone is speaking, don't interrupt them. That's it. So that's all I gotta say on that. Um, I was glad that Drew paid for Tomb Dust because that is weird. And to make up a lie, you go by the alias Danielle, and we've literally seen Danielle on the show. Fatoum, you're trying too hard. And also, Fatoum seems delusional and drunk. Something wrong with Fatoum. Speaking of drunk, my favorite part of this episode was Carefree Kenya. Love Kenya this season. Kenya is so fun to watch this season. There, that visceral quality that she used to have is gone. She is just free. And when Marla was trying to get under her skin, she was like, yes, honey, I am the moment, yeah. And blowing kisses at the camera. I was screaming. I was laughing so hard. I love Kenya this season. I'm so excited to watch her. Portia, the worst thing you could have done was, was left the show because people have fallen in love with Kenya. Um, but anyway, hopefully they've made up. But, um, but yeah, so that's pretty much the episode. Oh, Sheree's still boohoo crying about Tyrone. I'm not laughing at Sheree because hardship is hardship and I'll never wish nothing bad on another woman but it does make me wonder um what's the deal why is she this broken up about it like she didn't even give this much energy to Bob <laughs> I think Bob had wore her ass out but hmm, I don't know but please go watch Candy speak on it for more depth on that trust me on it 
Now, lastly, we're going to finish off with Married to Medicine. All right. Last but certainly not least, guess what returned? Married to Medicine. And this is season nine, y'all. Nine seasons of this show. It still feels very new to me. But nine seasons of this show. Um, and so it's season nine and episode one, and it's called Bless This Mess. So we catch up with everybody. First of all, Allura has grown up, and she looks adorable. She got a Range Rover for her birthday. Heavenly is doing the dang thing. Kudos, kudos, kudos across the board. Um, we see um, Simone and Dr. Jackie have made up. We see Contessa and Scott are on the road to recovery. Um, we see Quad is building a new 14,000 square foot home, and she now lives with her nephew. Um, God rest his soul, her brother, her 34-year-old brother died due to heart complications. And so she has inherited not only her nephew, but her mother lives there with her now too. Which I think that, you know, she's moving into a home instead of a townhouse and she's moving into a house. And I think filling it with family is a beautiful thing. Um, what else? So we open up the episode with uh, Jackie and Simone riding together in the car and they get home and they see Curtis and Cecil um, standing outside looking at Curtis's Gran Turismo, 1962 Gran Turismo. And when I tell you, I am a car buff. I love cars. And one of my dreams is when I hit 45, I want to build a Camaro. And I, I love cars. As a matter of fact, I love Maseratis. And Gran Turismo is my favorite body. It's my favorite model. So it was nice to see the 1962, very beautiful car, very great condition. Curtis has really kept that car very well. But one of the things that Jackie said when she got out of the car was, Curtis, you told me you sold this car. And Curtis was like, I'm trying to sell it to Cecil. I know this is going to be seen as me being negative and whatever. I don't care. If you're lying about silly things like that, Curtis, you still lying about the rest of the bullshit. Now, y'all know, y'all remember Curtis had got caught cheating. And that's when I realized Married to Medicine does the same formula. When someone's husband has been caught cheating, they the next time we see the wife, she's they record her getting out of bed, making up her bed, and getting ready for her day solemnly. They do, they do the same thing. It's like, okay, husband cheated. Okay, we're going to do the open with the bedroom scene of her getting out one side of the bed. She doesn't sleep in the middle. The other side is cold and lonely. So uh, that's when I realized that pattern. But um, but yeah, Curtis lied about selling the car. I'm like, Jackie, leave him. He's still lying. He's still freaking lying. But that's neither here nor there. Simone had me laughing with her trying to make the um, video promo to sell the car. <laughs> she is so funny. She is naturally funny. Um, we catch up with Toya. No, we catch up with Anila. Her home was complete. She furnished it with nearly, was it $500,000 worth of, of furniture? Based on blogging, she got it all for free as long as she promoted it, which ace in the hole. Good job, Anila. Um, I hate those clips of her family being hypercritical of her house because the way I would have told my family, if you can't say what you got to say politely, your opinion is no longer needed here. But, you know, not everybody's trash. So <laughs> just me. <laughs> so anyway, um, we saw them talk about the house and it doesn't seem like her husband's too happy with the house. I hate that trope of like happy wife, happy life, but miserable husband. There's room for everybody to be happy. I don't like that trope. I think they're playing it up for the cameras, but I don't like it. Um, so we get, we catch up with Toya. <laughs> so we catch up with Toya. And if you can recall, Toya actually, um, if you can recall, Toya actually built her dream home last season. And we all got to see that, right? 
But the problem with it was that um, when she built her, her dream home, we thought that was it. She decided to move out, rent another house, and sold the old house. And then she sold the old house, and now they're in another rental yet again after spending all that time building that home. And so I kind of feel like Loki, she keeps herself distracted with these big projects so that she doesn't look lazy or something. And I also think it's a little bit of that. I think she's an addic she's addicted to instability. And then thirdly, I think she's always trying to one up other people because she has something to prove. Toya is, she puts on, she's the greatest, she's a quote unquote housewife because Married to Medicine feels like a housewife show. So she's good in that aspect because she is a train wreck. But I will say, um, I am concerned with her need to destabilize her home life. I wonder what that's stemming from. Why does she, like every time they get into a place that could be stable, she upends it. It's just something I noticed. Um, so Dr. Contessa said that she and Scott had planned on divorcing. And um, they had already told the kids and they, had, they were moving out and he wouldn't sell the house. When she tried to sell the house, he wouldn't sell it. He decided to go to counseling instead. And I think really he just ended his little relationship that he was carrying on. Or he just got better at hiding it. Maybe. I don't know. Um, so Contessa right now is mad at Heavenly. Because Heavenly, um, Heavenly decided to go on her YouTube and she told her true feelings. And she didn't really wrap her words in a lot of kindness. And so it came off very rude and nasty and judgmental and it was gossip and it was trashy I didn't care for it those are your friends but it may have been all intentional in my opinion they all know they need a storyline so they were like all right heavenly it's us against you so I don't know but that just that's what it seems like so Contessa is mad at heavenly for saying that Scott is verbally and emotionally abusive I understand her being mad that heavenly said it out loud to to the public but I don't think heavenly was wrong that's just my opinion. I think maybe she is misplacing her aggression and her anger, personally. Um, so that's that. Um, we find out more about Quad's uh, new house. It looks very beautiful from what we saw. And then we ended with a Diwali celebration um, at Anila's house with the whole gang. And I, I think Heavenly is funny. But the whole, like, don't talk to daddy thing is so weird to me. I don't know. It's something about that is strange. And then two, but I think it's I think it's just meant to be funny. I don't actually think it's coming from anywhere, but it is weird. Just my personal opinion. Like, if your husband's not allowed to speak to someone, I don't think the problem is everybody else. That's just weird. Um, so there was that. And then there was... Um, I think that's it. Oh, and then Carrie was there. Carrie putting her hands on those walls was so funny when Quad was like, Carrie, take your hands off the baby, off them people walls. And low key, I be feeling like when people do stuff like that and they're careless like that, I think sometimes that's like a little um, subconsciously trying to mess things up because they're jealous. Personally, just what I think. This was a great opening episode because we caught up with everybody. We now find out where the lines are, where the lines are drawn amongst the group and what we're in for for this season. We later see that uh, Dr. Heavenly and um, yeah, the, the cast will stage, um, what is it called? An intervention with Dr. Heavenly to get her to stop gossiping and talking shit about him. So I'm excited to see that. Um, let's see. I think that's everything. Yeah, this episode wasn't really that drama filled. I like where they have us. I like what's going on in the episode.
So that's all my thoughts right now. Feel free to subscribe to this podcast. Um, if you are listening to this on YouTube, feel free to subscribe to my channel and like the video and turn on that notification bell. Um, you can find me across all social media at Sharon Shade. Again, that's S-H-A-R-I-O-N-S-A-D-E at Sharon Shade. And subscribe to both my podcast and my YouTube. And I will see you next time. Bye.